everyone. Hello and welcome. We're back for another episode of the Branching Factor podcast. I am your host, Tommy Thompson, and I'm on my own, actually. You're, after last episode, where it was our Voltron moment, we had the entire team come and hang out. I'm, I've, I've been kind of left left on my lonesome. But actually, we got a bit of a, a special. We've got a special uh, set up for you today. Actually, very exciting because we've actually got our first guests on the podcast. And I didn't need no co-host to help me out because fortunately I've known our guests here for a very long time and that is going to help steer me right. And on that note, please give a warm welcome, first of all, down the bottom left to Julian Tegelius. Hello. I was going to say, don't forget, this is an audio medium, first of all. So waving at the camera, we'll, but we'll get there. We'll figure okay. it out. And also on top of that, okay, we also this have... is like, a, I'm, 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 I'm capping, I'm screen capping myself as like, this is Julian waving at the camera. Hello, everyone. Excellent. We'll clip that for everyone. <laughs> and of course, alongside that, we also have uh, Christopher Holmgaard as well. Hello, sir. Hi there. Christopher here. Nice to, be, nice to be here. Thanks for having us. Fantastic. So you might be wondering, right, hang on, who are, who are these gentlemen? What are we doing? Why are they here? How do I know them? So many things. What's Branching Factor even? Right, so first and foremost, let's just get to that. Branching Factor is a gaming podcast because we didn't have enough of those already. But our goal on this podcast is to, is it's really about experts demystifying all things games. Myself and my co-hosts are all people who work in and around games, whether we either work in the games industry or we work in games research and are games scholars. Uh, particularly, I guess, um, our guests that we have on today, uh, Christopher and Julian. Sorry, let's start off. So actually, Dr. Julian Tegelius and Dr. Christopher Holmgaard um, are, in fact, two of the founding members of Model AI. And if you've been sticking around, particularly a lot of the work that I do over on AI and games, you might have heard the name Model AI being bounced around once or twice of late. Because Model AI, first of all, I help out and do a little bit of work with Model AI in terms of video production. And so if you've ever watched things that on their YouTube channel, you might have heard my voice, uh, but also just generally trying to support a lot of the work they're doing. And one of the reasons that our relationship came about is Model AI is all about, well, I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but this is all about artificial intelligence for video game productions, for actual video game it development. Is. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think I think that's what we're doing, right? Hopefully. No, that's correct. That's what the... I correct you, even if you're right. That's a that's 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 yeah. that's good. That that makes me feel better because particularly that's what I thought the marketing brief was, and that's what I've been running on. So critically, my top production team has told me the right thing. But also, all of us come from the same place. We all actually started out in games research and game academia. And so, as we said, we've got one doctor here, we've got another doctor here. Don't forget, there's a PhD on this man's hat as well. And for the audience crowd, I was pointing at my own head. So we all come from the same space. We all worked as games researchers. And, well, one of us came up with the really bright idea of actually creating a startup and actually getting a lot of investment funding to go and start working on creating tools and systems to support the video games industry using a lot of the research that we were conducting in academia. And then I decided to go also go and make a YouTube channel. And I think one of us had the good idea. And then I was also making a YouTube channel. I think that's probably the, the safest way to look at it. Christopher was actually the real brains of the outfit. I was ju I'm just the mouth on the internet. I think. Well, I'm just the one who takes the takes the blame, you know. That's, Take uh, that's my role. Take the blame. So, <laughs> <Okay>. yeah. <laughs> um, so, 
<laughs> I guess for everyone that yeah, so Christopher, you're one of both of you are co-founders. Christopher, you're the CEO, and Julian, you're one of the heads of research, as I, I, I yes, believe, I'm the along research director. Yep, research yeah. director alongside Yergis Yanakakis and Sebastian Risi as well. Yes, it's a it's a it's an interesting crowd. They're good people. They're all good people. But um, yeah, so let's, well, that's it. We got the important thing out of the way. And of course, if you've been listening to Branching Factor for a little while, you'll know that we're sponsored by Model AI. And so this was it. They've been sitting since episode one going, when do we get to come on? Like, when do we get to come and hang out like, knocking on the door? And then eventually we're like, right, look, after the Voltron, we'll get everybody in and we'll have a catch up. This, this is what I call pay to play, right? No? Right. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I mean, yeah. this is me. I'm, I'm paying the bills. This is making my life a lot easier. But anyway. Now that we, we it's, all that, suspect. Yeah. It's, all, yeah. it's, all, it's all horribly inbred. But how are you both? I realise it's, it's actually been a long time. Uh, Christopher, I saw you last year. We, were, we bumped into each other for about 90 seconds at Develop. Um, in Brighton. Mm-hmm. Um, Julian, I haven't actually seen you in the flesh, I think, since pre-lockdowns. Is that right? Yeah, that might actually be the case. I Am I even the same person? I don't know. I got married, had a kid, published a bunch of papers. And Wait, the, probably, the last one I mean, none right. of, not, Yeah, none of the papers were like life-changing, but the other stuff was quite of, kind of life-changing. And it also, Good like, safe. you know, this lockdown period saw us through, like, you know, a lot of interesting work at Model AI. And also, um, I moved to New Jersey, but I'll move back into New York soon. <laughs> it's, uh, I was like, that was the mistake. The other, the, other, the other things were great, you know, the other things were all great, but, you know, um, and New Jersey, there's nothing wrong with New Jersey per se, but... Uh, but Shout but out to all our fans in New, in New Jersey. Um, <laughs> do we have, uh, you, you have fans in New Jersey? Why? I don't, what, I don't know. You... I haven't found out yet. If you are actually out in New Jersey and you are listening to the podcast, branchingfactoryaiandgames.com, do reach out to us. Let us know what you think of the show thus far and <laughs> whether you've been thoroughly upset uh, with the comments of our of our you one need, of our first you, guests. <laughs> you need a census for this kind of stuff. Um, yeah, I'm still in Copenhagen, as ever. You, yeah. You've been just chilling the whole time. Well, not chilling. I'm assuming you just just. No, say... yeah, yeah, just, just chilling. And then we, we we did a couple of things. I think when we when we met in Brighton, uh, we were still sort of like closing up um, our latest investment into model AI. That has been exciting times. That's obviously one of the things that you got to do as a CEO. You got to help the company have some money. And uh, and we were fortunate enough to end up working with some folks in LA called Griffin Gaming Partners who uh, invest actually solely in the games industry and then the investment arm over at Microsoft. Uh, so that's, that's one thing that happened to us sort of like in the fall of, uh, of last year. Uh, we raised uh, a Series A round. And so um, ever since we've been expanding the company and, and building more AI, which is, which is what we do. It's fantastic yeah. stuff. I mean, I'm also grateful because then, you know, I get to do stuff as well. Uh, not gonna lie, <laughs> but no, it, it's it's also quite exciting because it's you know, Model AI's kind of represents in many respects. There's kind of a running joke actually, I think, in some of our community about how many people who have worked in our research field have wound up working in Model AI at some point. Um, mm. Even people ask me, they're like, "Hang on, do you work at Model AI?" I'm like, "Kind of. I'm just the I'm just the the, the voice on all the videos, um, on and I make the videos on occasion. I don't do any of the AI the AI research anymore. But um, it's exciting to see because really a lot of the work that you're doing is you're well." 
correct me if I'm wrong, but the idea was you're kind of capitalizing on a lot of the research that had been conducted in academic spaces that yeah. there was clearly potential to put it in the industry and there was a there was a there was, gap there to exploit. Yeah, there was a, for a long time we had been working with all this industry we thought was motivated by um, opportunities and needs in video games. Um, and we had so many great ideas and there were so many good ideas and experiments floating around the community, but it was just very hard to get this kind of deployed in games as they were and in the game production pipeline. And we realized that to do this, we need to start a company and we need money to get the company. So we did the whole little sort of song and dance for various investors and they gave us money. Um, and now, and then we hired lots of people, largely from within this research community. And when I say lot, okay, it's not a lot by standard of lots of people, but what are we now, 35 or something? Um, and um, then we- Soon, soon, yeah. Soon, soon, okay, right, close to that. <laughs> so, um, uh, and then we basically um, started working on how to make products out of this research. Now that's the hard part. Yeah, I think I think sort of like the, the thing we were seeing, like you were saying, Julian, was like a ton of opportunity and a lot of good ideas, right? And then one of the challenges is kind of like finding that part of the Venn diagram where you can bring that to people in a way where it actually makes a tangible difference to the way that their daily life works and mm. the way that they're building games. Um, so that's that's what sort of like that's what the company was about. That was the gap that we're kind of focusing on, right? And I think over the course of like last few years, we've, we're starting to find those use cases where we feel like, okay, mm. this is where you can take the, st the stuff that people have been building in research, and then you maybe you tweak it a little bit, maybe you change it a little bit, maybe you you, you know if, if it's not maybe one hundred percent pure from an from an academic perspective, but you find a place where it fits into the as you were saying, Julian, mm. the, the the production pipelines, right, that exist in game development and. Uh, for that, I think you, you know, our, our thinking was always, you probably need critical mass of, you know, two kinds. You need enough people that know, that know how game development works, and you need enough people that know how mm -hmm. AI and machine learning for games works. And, and get that balance right, get the distribution right, mm -hmm. and you have something that's, that's pretty unique and, um, and, you know, hopefully can do something that nobody else has really been doing before. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very easy to sit in academia with a kind of um, idealized and uh, weird and frankly wrong idea about how the game industry works um, and then and then wonder why no one is listening to you um, I know because that used to be me um, I, was, I was gonna say I distinctly remember a few of these kind of industry academia meetups that both yeah. of us or individually had attended and you can see the lines being drawn of Oh, this is an interesting academic pursuit, but like this is functionally useless in you know in in reality when you actually want to solve it, you know, solve a particular production problem. But also similarly, like the games industries, like these are problems that we have, and academics are like, yeah, it's not that. That's not particularly interesting to us to try and solve. We've got our own thing yeah. that we're doing, and oh. I could, there's stories. Yeah. I, I'm not going to name names, but I, I remember some particular events. Yeah. One of them, I think you were invited as a speaker at, and I'm sort of sitting in the, not particularly at yourself, but just the event as a whole. I'm sort of sitting in yeah. the back of the corner, like hitting my head against the desk, like, well, at least there's a, <laughs> at least there's dinner after this. <laughs> I have certainly said, said various things that have, that, and, and that have pissed off game developers. But to my credit, I have also said things that are pissed off AI researchers. 
you, you piss that's off everyone. You're in the right that's space. It. That's that's yeah. that's, that's right. you're doing it right. <laughs> I, I mean, and, and from my side, I don't know. I mean, I was I was doing games and, and launching games at the same time as uh, as I was doing my PhD. So it was always interesting, just like as an indie game developer, right? And so it's always interesting to see how, you know, if there's something on the other side. It's like you have a new idea, you have something that you think might work. But it's it can be really hard to carry those ideas into the production perspective of the industry, right? Because mm. it's, you're coming completely mm. left field often, and as you're saying, like the incentives for succeeding with a research paper are not always very well aligned with the you know incentives that are involved in a game production. It's it's definitely they're, they're not necessarily opposite, but they're often orthogonal, right? So, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it can often be that 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 the solution is algorithmically not that novel, but getting it into a production pipeline and getting it working in a game engine that requires a lot of like uh, innovation of various kinds. And Just... another thing that we're doing that is kind of making it, in a sense, harder for us is that we are not a game studio. There's a lot of interesting AI applications you could do if you wanted to build a new game. On the ground up on AI, which I think is awesome, and some people are doing it. More people should be doing it. But what we are trying to do is to find build products that are reusable solutions that fit into the game development pipeline as it exists today on action, making action video games. And that that is we we're playing this game on hard level clearly because there is a lot of what we thought were great ideas um, that built on game research that we wanted to productize that we realize that, yes, you can build a solution based on this nicety in one game, but you can't generalize. Um, so Model AI's history has a part of it somewhere that's a graveyard of like beautifully formed ideas that uh, were not productizable. <laughs> Fun funnily enough, actually, because I just, for anyone out there who um, is on the watching my stuff over on YouTube on AI and games. I literally just made a video about machine learning changing the games industry. And I, I deliberately left a bit in about why are we only seeing these things now? That um, why are we only beginning to see these interesting applications and interesting tools emerging and just historically how it didn't really fit. It wasn't fit for purpose. There hadn't been consideration for trying to get it to fit within the pipeline. And mm. Because I hear a lot of people saying, "Oh, why, why, what, why is, why is this a new thing?" Or interestingly, like people often think, "Oh, machine learning, this is a brand new idea, right?" Like, no, yeah. uh, it's only been around for about mm, seventy years. But yeah. um, fundamentally, it's 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 fresh in the game space because we're now seeing like useful applications for it and everything else. So, yeah, if you haven't watched that and you're listening to this, one, how did you find my podcast, but you haven't found my YouTube channel? Well done. Go and subscribe to AI and Games and check out that AI 101 video on machine learning. Um, but yeah, I think it's been really exciting. And for, from an outside perspective, even in my position, to kind of see a lot of the work that's happening at the company and also seeing it grow. Like you said, you had the big investment at the tail end of the year, which is fantastic and it allows you to, to continue on. And I guess this brings us to, we're recording this, the week before, we're all going to, some of us, I believe, or all of us, I don't know, are flying out to GDC because I uh, believe Model AI is going to, you're not coming. You're I'm staying gonna, in New Jersey. No, 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 no. I'm going to be in New Jersey because. Uh, Someone's going to hold like, the fort down. Yeah. Sure, but New Jersey actually, there's a, there, there, there is a, where, where I am in Morristown, New Jersey, there is an action fort, which is called Fort Nonsense. George Washington <laughs> had it built to distract his army. Well, so they wouldn't go and do dumb things, apparently. 
I mean, to be fair, if there was one place I would leave you in charge of, Fort, Fort nonsense. nonsense. That's it. Fantastic. Um, but yes, <laughs> uh, so GDC starts. Not uh, so. Hang on. We're, yeah. So it won't be next week. We'll be travelling out, and then the following week, um, GDC will be up and running. And uh, yeah, mm-hmm. how are we feeling? Are we ready to go? Super ready. Like everybody's always ready. Uh, you know, <laughs> weeks in advance ahead of GDC. <laughs> no, it's gonna be great. It's gonna be great. So, uh, so obviously we have we have a great team that has made. We're gonna have a booth there. How exciting is that? It's the first time ever we have a booth anywhere, uh, except for Gamescom last year, I guess. Uh, but uh, but but first time GDC uh, with a booth from Model AI, and uh, we're gonna be there with the crew. And we're going to be bringing the first, like, sort of, you know, product that you can download on your own, that you can try and install into your game. We're taking beta signups at GDC. And on top of that, we're going to have a talk there. Um, and, yeah, it's just going to be a super interesting show. If you're a regular internet user, you're probably pretty conscious about your safety while, you know, wandering around in this wonderful virtual space. Not least because you don't want people to know you've been binging all the content with my voice in it. I mean, heaven forbid. This is where having a really solid VPN or virtual private network can be a boost. By using NordVPN, you can then go about your business on the internet without worrying about you or your data being tracked. Me, I like to use it when I'm researching a new video, and it sometimes results in my going into some of the dark and damp corners of the internet. Ooh. But, you know, it also comes in handy for all the other reasons you would use a VPN, like streaming region-locked content, or occasionally buying a game from an overseas storefront, which is actually super handy in my line of work sometimes. Head on over to nordvpn.com forward slash AI and games to get a very special AI and games infused discount on a NordVPN subscription complete with a 30-day money-back guarantee. That's nordvpn.com forward slash AI and games. The link and all the other relevant details are also available in the episode notes too. You know, we'll see if GDC is sort of like back to full attendance. I I had the chance to go last year and you could definitely feel that people were starting to show up again for these kind of things. So we're just all around excited about it. Yeah, like I'm so, I, this is my first time attending um, and also for uh, for the, uh, in the interest of, the, of, of clarity for the audience, I'm on one of the, I'm on the advisory board for the AI Summit at GDC. So I help actually coordinate um, our speakers and which, which talks we accept and then making sure that they're okay. Um, critically, funnily enough, actually, so Model AI, you have a talk at the AI Summit. I abstained from being involved in it. Because I did dis- declare it was a conflict of interest, um, but ah. it came. But we accepted it readily, anyways, which was which was great. Um, nice. Got to, I see, I've got so many caveats. I got to, I've got to put out because it's like, hey, well, you know. Mm, 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 mm. But I'm excited for it as well because I, I had a chance to read through. I well, this is one of the the fun things about doing my side of the job is I get to look at all the talks early and get to kind of like. Mm-hmm. Uh, running through them. And I had a couple of other speakers reaching out saying, hey, I've got a draft. Would you mind having a look at it and stuff? Um, and s- some really great stuff this year. I'm very excited uh, for us to show it all off over. So yeah, this is so GDC, the Game Developers Conference. It's the biggest of its kind in the world. It runs out in the Moscow Center in San Francisco. And I think you're right, Christopher. I think this is going to be the year that everyone's back. Because um, I also, abs- I, I decided not to go last year. I thought, the world is still on fire a little bit too well more on fire than usual and i thought that was a sufficient level of heat that i didn't want to 
to mess with that. But mm. um, yep, um, I'll be masked up. Uh, you know, get all my vitamin boosters, and I'll be ready to go. Um, it's going to be a busy week. Awesome. Yeah. And um, so you'll be you'll be over at Fort Nonsense, uh, for the time being. Um, but we will see you. I think Julian, we've got the summer school coming up as well. The game AI yes, summer school, indeed. The AI and game summer school, which is going to be <clears throat> June twenty sixth to thirtieth in Cambridge, United Kingdom. So not Cambridge, Massachusetts. Cambridge, England, old England. Um, and um, we are running it in collaboration. So Model AI is running this in collaboration with Microsoft Research. Um, and so we're running it in their venue. Um, and it's Jorgos Yanakakis and me are like the kind of MCs and sort of introductory speakers. And we will give a couple of introductory talks. And then we have a number of talks from interesting people in industry um, working on AI for and in games. So we have speakers from Microsoft, obviously, Riot, um, DeepMind, um, various game studios, small and big, um, including Keen Software House and so on. And there will be sort of basically an interesting sort of, um, Sony, I think is confirmed now as well, um, a, an interesting sort of cross-section of like uh, AI as applied in games. So uh, we're very much looking forward to this. Um, um, it's been a lot of fun the last few years we've run it and uh, people have been very happy with it. Uh, this year, we are not going to run it next to a Mediterranean beach as we did last year. And I apologize for that. Yeah, a little but, disappointed. Um, yeah, but you know, England is, England has nice things. Uh, I mean, uh, so funnily enough, it was it was funny because I couldn't make. I was hoping to go last year, and then I couldn't make it. And then it's like, oh well, but it's that's out in Crete, I believe, if I remember right, in in Greece, and it's mm -hmm. oh that'd be a lovely place. And now it's so I live just outside of London, so I have no excuse not to travel up to Cambridge because it's just it's yeah. you know it's with it's less than an hour's journey for me to get there. Um, but the weather's not going to be well. Actually, if it's June, who knows? The weather can actually get quite vicious around that time of year. Um, particularly, yeah. we had a couple yeah. of nasty heat waves last year, but fingers crossed. Um, and I know from living in England that you don't have things such as air conditioning over there. Um, so so I, am, I am on top of that. So we were just talking about this um, offline before we started, was that I'm actually in the middle of moving house. So particularly, ongoing uh, listeners, you'll already know about this. I've complained about this multiple times. Um, but if you're watching this for the first time, because you can see this right now, my background is completely empty. Like right now, what's on the shelves behind me is literally all the stuff that I just haven't put in a box yet. Um, and one of the first things we were doing, so both my partner and I were discussing this and we were like, we were looking for a place that we wanted to move to. And we said, this place, we're installing air conditioning in it. And nice. deliberately going out of our way, we, we've already priced up the models. We know what we want. We were looking around and just, can we possibly fit it? Is it going to be sensible to do this? Will it actually fit into the existing ecosystem? And people saying to me, like, oh, why do you want to do that? And I said, well, because it was over 100 Fahrenheit. It was like 41 mm -hmm. Celsius. Mm -hmm. And the hottest part of the UK was where I live. And uh, mm. last year when wow. the heat wave hit, yeah, I was like, yeah, yeah. yep, we're getting air conditioning. That's that's yeah. happening. So we're very excited. Um, it's going to be a nightmare awesome. for uh, video production because um, all my stuff, I'm going to be talking to you with a mild whirr behind me. But, you know, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah, that's good. So so I, I would just like, you know, just like pitch, pitch just a little bit more here that, 
people should really come to this summer school. We sort of designed it so with both PhD students and graduate students in mind, and uh, also faculty and people who are in the games industry. And usually every year we get a mix of this. We get a bit more of PhD students than the others, but like, you know, if you're interested in this, both like in the industry work, want, want to know more about interesting AI techniques, or if you are doing research in the field or want to teach it, come over, come over, come join us. So I'll, okay, I'll help it. you with I'll help you with the plug because that's it. So it's the fifth international summer school in artificial intelligence and games. You go to school.gameaibook.org. I'll stick it in the show notes for you, um, and you can have a look there on the website. There's lots of pretty photos of Cambridge um, if you want to yeah. if you want to hit the canals and what have you. Um, it's an expensive pint in Cambridge. It's the only thing. I've, it's the only other additional right. bit of fact I've, I've got for you. You it's, should. Uh, you should. You should. You should try New York. Mm, I, I guess it's. I think in in UK standards, like the two most expensive places to go to go for a drink are in Cambridge and London. Um, oh yeah. 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 <laughs> but it's super easy to get to as well because, funnily enough, it's at Microsoft Research. I haven't been actually. I haven't been at Microsoft Research since. It's right next to the train station. For those of you who are going right. to going to come and visit. Um, I remember I got, in, I think Sam Devlin over at MSR invited me to give a talk there years ago and I haven't been back since. I, that was the first time in a long time I was nervous about giving a talk. Because usually it's someone's, here's a podium, here's your time window. And I'm like, all right, cool. Talking about what, AI and games? I can do that. No problem. Here we go. And then it was, it was an internal Microsoft event. And I was invited to kind of be one of the opening speakers of the event. And that was probably the first time in a long time where I properly was like, oh, oh no, I need to, yeah. I need to. I can't. I can't start this the day before. Yeah, I got to do a good job of this. I need to. I need to properly (laughs) research this and make sure it's super. You know, good production value. Make sure I don't sound like an idiot. I think it went well. (laughs) I think it went well. But it was. Yeah, it was. It was funny. Just it been. It was the first time in so long that I was actually nervous about giving a talk because once you've done a lot of this for a while, particularly like we say, we like come. We come from academic spaces, presenting at conferences. After you've done it three, five, 10, 20, 30 times, it, it's normalized. You kind of just get used to it. But yeah, it was nice to feel yeah, the fear yeah. again a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> All right, tell you what, we'll take a quick break. And then what we're going to do is we're going to have a little bit of a chat. We're going to dig into some fun AI for games topics that we've got lined up. Ooh. Of course, this is a very short advert, of course, if you support the Branching Factor podcast over on the AI and Games Patreon. If you go to patreon.com forward slash AI and Games, your service will not be interrupted and you'll be back faster than I can say Monte Carlo Tree Search. Hey all, Tommy here with a quick plug for an additional way you can support and engage with Branching Factor and everything else happening at AI and Games. The new AI and Games blog is hosted over on Substack, the popular newsletter website. You can catch up with every episode of AI and Games, including written versions of each of our main episode releases, plus every episode of Branching Factor is also available for you to listen there as well. By signing up with a free subscription, you guarantee that every update on everything I'm working on is sent directly to you. You don't have to manage different apps or social media platforms to keep in the loop. Plus, you can also support AI and Games as a paid subscriber on Substack from as little as $5 a month. And with that, you get access to additional bonus content, including early access to new episodes of AI and Games, ad-free episodes of Branching Factor, our monthly newsletter, and recordings from community meetings as we discuss future content coming down the pipeline. 
To subscribe, head on over to AIingames.com to find out even more or search for AI in Games on your Substack reader. Um, the idea of, and it's funny because now we call it generative AI. Um, I don't know, this seems to be like a new thing to me that we've decided that's what we're calling it. Um, but essentially it's, the idea of... It's too, yeah, I, I, I've been trying to ask around what people mean exactly with generative AI and it's it differs a lot, but basically any AI method yeah. that generates something, right? And I mean, that's good for communicating outside of the community, I guess. We're like, there is, you know, right. what, what comes out of it? That's a way of thinking about it, you know. Not, not, not the classifier model. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like it's. Uh, it, well, they generate the classifications. I don't know, but. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had a, I had a discussion on Twitter with Jan LeCun about this particular and tried to come up with cases where you could take a standard classifier and call it generative AI. So you could do it as well. It's kind of fuzzy at the edges what generative AI is, but it's it's the new thing. Indeed. And so it's really just for, for anyone who's not really familiar with the idea and what we're talking about, it's the idea that we have an AI system that is creating some sort of output on the other end that can be applied and be practical in other situations or scenarios. Probably the big thing that everyone hears in the news these days is when we're talking about generative text and generative art, things like the stable diffusion models, um, things like ChatGPT, uh, which has proven to be a hot topic because it is interesting and also a hot mess at the same time. Uh, in fact, I, if you watch my stuff, you'll check over any Iron Games Plus. I did another joke episode where I got ChatGPT to write a video for me. It was terrible. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I guess for yourselves, like what's the, what are the big areas in generative AI that from your perspectives at Model AI and potentially also in your research interests, like what's the things you're kind of focused on right now? Whew. This is really this really is the, the hot potato here because like you know you can you can uh, so many people maybe this is the wrong one way to start this but there's like it is the the, the topic has become quite controversial partly because it's been hijacked by people who are uh, hawking it in a crazy way like crypto bros essentially um, well. You, you can turn it around and say what we don't do because we don't do any of the stuff yeah. that everybody else is doing at the moment. We don't do text and we Good. don't do images. And yes. so, so we're sort of like in a, in a totally different part of the space, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. What we're focused on at the moment uh, and have been for a long time actually is, is behavior uh, rather than sort of like necessarily, you know, images or text or any sort of like static kind of content. And I mean, I don't think we've seen like a ton of attention go to that like um, yet at least, but but the thing that we're really interested mm -hmm. in, in is, is generating different kinds of behaviors for different kinds of scenarios and, and obviously for, for games, which sort of like weirdly leans very close up against sort of like what you would call classic AI or classic AI applications in the in the games industry, right? I think I think the thing that's just different around what we're doing is that we're trying to do it um, for, you know, using machine learning rather than, uh, mm -hmm. than sort of like classic old fashioned AI. And machine learning that is trained on the behavior of lots of humans. So in that sense, it's generative yeah, AI. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you train precisely. a large yeah. model on, on how lots of humans behave, and you try to recreate this for various and in a controllable fashion for various purposes, including multiplayer team bots and particularly game testing. Yeah, we've already seen a little bit of this in 
in some commercial games. Notably, I think actually Halo Infinite is a really good example of of actually train generated generated behaviors. Although I don't believe they used I don't know if they used imitation learning. I'm actually literally on the bounds of about to research that for a future video, but it's one of the first examples of like machine learning bots that are being used in practical cases for multiplayer. But also, you were talking there about quality assurance and kind of testing, like. I guess what how, what's that pipeline look like? Are you trying to generate bots that are reflective of human behavior, but are you also thinking about irregular behavior? I guess given that you've got to have one of the things with quality assurance is QA testers don't play games like people do because you've got to find all these weird nooks and crannies. So, like, what's the kind of the range of behavior? I guess that you're trying to create, even if it's like an individual bots. So range is the word there. Um, <clears throat> we want them to, um, uh, we want basically bots that would do anything a reasonable human would do. What reasonable is kind of like um, wide. So basically you have the fundamental tension between over-specialization and, um, and uh, compute, uh, sort of compute computation and intractability. You could basically try to train and optimal bot or like an or something that plays very much like a good human player and that would have the problem that you know all the failure cases that you might find might be outside of there what about everything you know players that don't do exactly what you thought that they would which is very often the case with players it's but 99 um, percent of them i find <laughs> yeah yeah i <laughs> um and uh, but you could uh, on the other end of the spectrum you could basically take random actions and see where that leads you but that is not going to get very much of your game tested in time. That's going to take ages and probably like longer than the lifetime of the universe or something. So, um, and I mean, literally longer. longer. Yeah. So <laughs> li literally um, intractable. So um, what we need to do is to have bots that are parameterizable so that you can have them replay segments of levels and segments of game content um, from many different points and from each of these points take a range a representative range of what different humans would do so we are basing this on a framework called quality diversity which comes from um from evolutionary computation which is basically algorithms that are not quite optimization algorithms there are um exploration or illumination algorithms that essentially try to sort of take like all the find all the reasonable things um and then we're combining this with these trained models of human behavior so that basically we can ask we can ask the model of human behavior what uh, um what would a human with these and these parameters do in this particular situation and then we can use the quality diversity bots to explore this to make sure we covered all the reasonable things that could be done so I think, like, yeah. to, to give. I, I kind of. Oh, go I'm ahead. Sorry. No, no, go ahead, please. No, yeah, I, I kind of think of it as sort of like a stack, where you kind of, at the bottom of the stack, you have like pure quality, diversity, search through state space, where you're like, okay, let's just see a lot of the game. Let's try and optimize how many things we try out, right? And that has the added benefit. It not only lets you go and search for the game. Like when I when I talk to people about how this will work for their game, when uh, when they use it for testing, I I liken it to a Roomba. 
uh, essentially it's a little, <laughs> but, but like the notion is like, let's, let's try to go everywhere we can in the state space, right? And see a bunch of the game. But that already gives you a data set, gives you a bunch of observations of what happened inside of state space of the game, which is not entirely useless, right? It, it lets you see like a ton of the environment, a ton of the simulation. Then on top of that, if you start also having reasonable actions being taken in there from, from human players, like from, from people who actually know what they're doing, you start having sort of like the next part of the stack, right? And then on top of that, you can start actually imitating what you've observed happen inside of the game in real game situations. Mm -hmm. And then hopefully, you know, at the very top, this is kind of, this is the stuff that you're really spending a lot of time working on as well, Julian, I know. But, but like at the very top of this, we can then start generalizing across, you know, well, let, let's just start with like multiple levels in a game or multiple game modes in a game, but eventually maybe multiple games within the same type of game. And then the question is, of course, like how, how large of a model that covers how many games or how much diversity in games can we can we get to? Mm -hmm. But that's but that's kind of the way that I tend to think about it. It's and and all of these different like there are multiple different methods in here that are all interacting, but they can all enrich each, each other and sort of like help the whole stack perform. And at yeah. each sort of like step along the way. There are different kinds of benefits for game developers. But they, they can use the AI for different things at different levels of refinement of the behavior, if you want to put it that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like I, yeah. I thought, I thought about it kind of from the perspective. Like, so funnily enough, one of the things I'm doing right now, working for one game studio in in, in London, is working with our QA team and getting feedback from them, and they're asking for particular. It's interesting talking to them because they're like, oh, it'd be great if we had a feature that allowed me to do this or allowed me to check this thing. And then you think about all the repetitive nature of, of the tasks that are being asked. It's like, here's a feature we've got implemented. This door is here, which, of course, as anyone who's worked in game development knows, doors are the hardest thing in the universe. Um, there is nothing harder mm -hmm. than a door. The only thing harder is to get an AI to walk through it. Um, and... You know, it's like, okay, right now we've got a door. We got to, we need to test that all the doors work. We need to make sure you can't walk through the door when you shouldn't. We need to make sure that you don't die when the door shuts on your face. Um, but also this this level has 50 doors. We need to test all the doors, but also I just need to make sure that the player can get through all the doors and get to the exit. So you're dealing with this different set of actions and considerations of just the medial, like the really boring and fundamentally like basic elements of the game that... Uh, sit alongside the larger element of can people actually play this whole experience as intended and they, they whether or not they enjoy it is one thing it's just even can they actually get to the end because all of these are critical in their own way um and so allowing bots to kind of tap into this like for me it's to me the most exciting thing is um can i check that my level works can i check and also can i just alleviate a, a qa tester from saying right i've got to go and do this really menial task 200 times and it's it's a shame because the two hundred and second time they're going to find the bug, but they don't find it for the first two hundred iterations. So the idea of allowing a bot to do a bit of that work and alleviate that stress sounds like that sounds ideal to me. I guess critically, and I'm curious like how how it's being tackled at Modly I like your this is being built to support the QA developer in that particular situation rather than replacing them, which I think is also, as, as Julian was saying, like the disruptive nature of some of this generative AI is people coming in and advocating that this is going to solve a, solve the human element. Whereas here it sounds more like it yeah, should yeah. be working alongside the developer to support their, support their work. Yeah, For sure. I mean, I I mean we, we, we did, yeah. we did, we did too much functional QA. Said no one ever, right? You can't, you can't have enough. <laughs> <of that. laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's a, so there's a thing with a lot of like, oh, you're going to replace humans argument. It's like, well, 
First of all, like, no, because there's too many weird corner cases and there's too much sort of the conditions vary too much across deployment. But also no, because you're assuming that there is a finite need for this. And yeah, what, what Christopher just said, like, yeah, it's like, it's not like we ever do too much testing. It's um, what basically we can do is that we can allow testers to work at a higher level of abstraction, basically as directors of these bots. Um, and then they can just get so much more testing done. Kind of like that vision of just like sort of, right, I've got my little army of bots now and I'm going to send them off yeah. to go and test. Like that, <laughs> that sounds a lot less, it's still probably a lot of work, but I imagine it's also a little less stressful. You're like, okay, that door's sorted. I've got a bot on that, you know? Yeah, <laughs> to, 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 to like people, yeah, exa exactly. It's not, you know, this is, there's, there's not going to stop being work. And you can feel how much, you can feel positive or negative about this, but you know, there's not going to not be work into this. <laughs> so it's, we're just trying to give, give developers better tools, essentially. Not a bad idea. And, I, and, and yeah. go for it, go for it. Oh, no, sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I just think it's also sort of like, so obviously we've spoken to a lot of folks across the industry, right? And, you know, obviously some people have done this as one-offs for certain titles or certain productions or maybe even certain franchises. Uh, but it's just, it, it, it is a lot of expense to build a system that can do this in a general fashion and that can test, um, you know, a new level that you might come up with with a new mechanic. And so one of the things we're also thinking is, you know, obviously, you know, in AAA, okay, maybe for some titles you have like your internal solutions for this or whatnot, but there's like everybody else out there, there's, you know, they just don't, it's just not a thing that you can afford to do alongside all the other things when you're doing a big game production to build sort of like comprehensive QA testing system, right? Yeah. And, um, and, and a lot of like, even sort of like medium-sized or pretty large studios we've talked to, they just end up spending as much time maintaining their own automatic testing bots as, as they would have, you know, spent doing it manually anyway, right? So that's, that's kind of like where we see this fitting in. But we, it's something general that works for all the people who haven't rolled their own for, for all of these different reasons. I think speaking from my own experience, certainly as an indie developer as well, where you are the QA team, like you, the, the people that are yep. making the game, because it's like you're lucky if you're lucky if the team's more than one to begin with, and then if okay, you've got a team of three or four people. Okay, we need to be playing the game, and then we need to be reporting the bugs. We need to be able to communicate what the bugs are and then get them back in. And I remember, um, funnily enough, some of the stuff that I worked on, we actually we we just went to events. That was our solution to this problem. Um, was we play tested at events all the time. And it, in hindsight, it was some of the most exciting and terrifying experiences I've had in the games industry. Cause we'd put a game out and then people are finding bugs while we're on like a show floor. And I'm like, sometimes we had, a, we, we, we had a, oh yeah. So like, first of all, you're writing it all down. And then one year we decided to go hardcore. Uh, shout out to James Tatum, um, who's now at Bulkhead Interactive, who was helping, who was working with me on this. At one point, we were literally, we had a booth, we had a table set up, our little games are running on a computer, people are playing it, we're finding the bugs. He's sitting behind it on a laptop on the floor, like find, fixing the bugs as we're going. I remember when, <laughs> so this is, of course, awesome. uh, this was sure footing like many, many years ago when we were the, an early version of that game, actually. I think we, we deployed 12 versions of it over the period of three days. Um, <laughs> while we had it on a show floor and it was terrifying and sometimes like i'd do the same thing it's like you go to an event and go oh man we found an absolute game breaker or and it's funny because some people 
particularly when you do it at events some people really relish that there's a sense of glee they get like mm-hmm. oh wow i found something that completely breaks your game and we're like how did you do that like no walk talk walk us through it what what like essentially the the, the state-based trace which you're now able to do with model with, with the tools at model ai whereas like we're like just how did you get to that scenario to then trigger this thing to happen like i don't understand that it was so stressful and i remember it more than once everybody's going out for dinner afterwards and i was like, i'm just going back to the hotel and i'm sitting in this hotel room god knows where just like writing away like i need to find this bug because i really want to fix it before tomorrow because particularly as the at the time i was the only programmer on it at that point I'm just like uh-huh, sm- yeah. mortified when a, like a game-breaking bug of that magnitude is discovered. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. it's a yeah. sense of pride in where you have to, yeah. Yeah, trying to ask a player, like, can you give me the stack trace off of that so I can kind of figure out what the issue was and mm-hmm. fix it? No, can't do that. Can't do that. Um, but yeah, it's it's amazing how even the smallest of games, you need someone whose job it is, is just to play it and allow yeah. you to... to-, to- yeah totally and yeah, but cool. i would say you know even even bigger studios up to like even 100 people they would tell you that like 100 people studios where it's just like it's too much to maintain like that kind of automation like for a single title mm-hmm. so i think it really runs across range in the industry sorry julian yeah no 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 this is there's something there's something in general with ai uh so it's like um there is a lot of interesting AI demos. There's lots of interesting stuff coming out of research labs <clears throat> that have very impressive capabilities in kind of best case situations and kind of one-offs. Um, and then building a stable, dependable, versatile product based on this is just a completely different game, you know. It's um, uh, and that is especially true for generative AI, with its tendency to do all kinds of weird stuff. And then we add in the add is in that uh, the games industry has, you know, it uh, the fundamental fact is that every game is different. Sure, we're building in game engines um, that allow us a certain kind of shared technical platform, but then they differ in so many ways. Um, so um, this is the real the challenge we're up against. Like um, we need is stable and maintainable and predictable. Um, to some extent, or predictable that it works um, for for so many different games along in their games, various iterations, and so on. Which is this has been a learning journey. Um, I was going. I was going to say. I was going to say yeah. actually because it's so funny hearing you say that. Given I've known you for so long, and also that you yeah. were very much in that academic side for so long as well, yeah. to hear you now coming around and say these are things we got to do, I'm like. It's just the same yeah, dude but, that I was getting sunburned yeah. with in Australia like no, 15 years no, ago. No, no, because I moved to New Jersey and now I'm born. Um, so, no, but I still, you know, I still maintain an academic affiliation as well. So I have both hats on. Like, you know, this is uh, me on screen, like trying to signal that I wear two hats. I don't actually wear any hats. My, my head is too large. But um, it's... Uh, it is true. So I can see both of these perspectives. So I love doing these kind of crazy exploration. What if you did this? What if you sort of, you know, completely change the game around and, 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 uh, well, so, so things we've done lately, generating levels with large language models, for example, and, uh, uh, and it's a lot of fun and there's a lot of interesting things to explore, but could we build a product based on that today? No, yeah. because every game, um, has its own, 
kind of level format and different considerations and different things that make a level valid or not valid. And here is where I get a chance to sort of say one of these things I keep saying all the time. Generative AI for text and images is kind of easy compared to generative AI for many types of game content. Because an image, where like an image of a face where the ears are slightly misaligned or you know the eyes have some kind of imperfection, it's just like, uh, this is a nice image of a face, but it doesn't really, or, um, but, but it has some blemishes. Same thing, like a paragraph of text, which has like some kind of weird logical leap or like some, some the grammar is off somewhere. It's just like, okay, this is fine text, but you know, you know it's an error. A game level, which um, is not completable. It's not just a small blemish. It's just like, it's garbage, it's nothing. You basically throw it out. Um, so basically generative AI for most types of game content is actually much harder problem than generative AI for text or images or video. And, and this is true. And, and yeah. But for, for game levels, for game, for, for animation, for like game characters, uh, quests and so on. So Christopher, you had. So, no, no, no. Yes. It's just, ah, I get excited. Um, so, and don't totally agree <laughs> with that, but also the other thing is, is, is kind of like even the images, right? Okay. So yeah, you can use yeah. some of these services for doing like, like interesting concept art or inspirational stuff. Right. And you can also, I think text is actually closer to something you could put in a game, especially if you shape the mechanics around it. But I, I, you know, there's not sort of like you wouldn't take an image from whatever Dali or Midjourney or whatever and just ship it. Right? <laughs> like you take it no. and you work with it. And I think I think yes. when you think about sort of production flows in the industry, like um, one of the challenges I see, even with most like content creating solutions, is that somebody still needs to take the output and then take a professional eye and a professional hand and turn it into something that fits into your game project that mm -hmm. you're happy to ship it. So, so, so it's, it's not like you've sort of like solved the content production thing, you know, end to end, right? Uh, because there's, there's still like these steps of getting, you know, sure, you know, if the model could produce maybe a layered Photoshop file where I can like turn off the things that I don't want and I can sort of like change around like what's in the image and I can, you know, correct That's the, a things good idea. the fingers and all that stuff. Yeah, it is a good idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure yeah, someone will probably down. do something like that at yeah. some point or have some, yeah, yeah. Have some post-processing post or whatever, right? But, but <laughs> right now it's like, what do I do with like this bitmap, right? Like, how do I get that into the game and ship it? It becomes maybe a texture, I don't know. Um, but so, so, so I think, you know, the more functional the content becomes, the harder either it becomes to generate the wholesales to have it static and then shipping it with the game, or you need to mm -hmm. build the game mechanics around it. Um, and, and that's actually where I think the behavior, like that's one of the reasons where it's sort of like long-term, like we're gunning for the behavior because it doesn't really matter that much if the behavior fails in single instances. It's just, it needs to be mm -hmm. generally okay. Uh, if you're thinking about yeah. generating behavior for a multiplayer game mm -hmm. or, or behavior for testing, right? It's actually really forgiving uh, because nobody will sort of like look at one detail and say, oh my God, what is that, right? Because it's more mm -hmm. of a, it's a temporal process. It's not a- um, Everybody a makes static, mistakes. Static content. Yeah. Yeah, you can't really make, you know, the, the perfection part isn't there because it's like, it's, it's more ephemeral, you know what I mean? I don't, yeah. I don't know if it's making sense. And, 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 yeah. and it's like, so, so, so the two use cases we're currently working on, which is um, quality assurance and multiplayer team bots, um, they have like different, they're sensitive to failure in different ways. Um, but um, in for the QA case, the, 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 the problem I mean, the failure case is only if it's not diverse enough. Um, for the multiplayer team bot case, the failure case, if it does too many things, too many failures of a, in a way a human player wouldn't do. 
Now, human players playing a game actually fail in a way all the time. You know, you know, you try to take this jump and you and you fail. That's fine. You can do a you can do a certain amount of that. You know, so and 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 that's what makes this tractable. Um, this problem. Um, yeah, I was, there are other ways that you don't like like spending half a half a minute running uh, uh, trying to run against a wall. That that's something a <laughs> human would not do. But <laughs> so yeah, I was thinking uh, about this with the multiplayer games because you've got this. There's a contract that you essentially are establishing with other human players where if mm -hmm. these bots exist, if they're opponents, you want them to be interesting, um, challenging, but still fallible. Um, conversely, if they're allies, you want them to be able to play towards the objective, to do what they're supposed to do. But interestingly then, those points of failure, those more human qualities are the things that you want to see, but only within a certain range. Because if you find out that the bot yeah. is the reason you lost that round, and then, oh God, I can't believe that the bot did that. But conversely, um, <laughs> you know, you see specific human traits or n more natural organic traits in their behavior. And that can be quite exciting. We were literally talking about this before we started today. I've been playing the um, Gran Turismo Sophie uh, play together test that they mm -hmm. currently have in Gran Turismo mm -hmm. 7. And I was actually thinking of specific human-like characteristics that those bots were evoking in those races. And I found that really exciting to go up against it. I guess like it's, it's a very different problem from quality assurance where it's run at the door 800 times but, but i guess we were saying there like that's that seems like an incredibly difficult balancing act to try and capture all these facets in a way that it will be functionally it's functionally it's attaining its functional goals but it is also still on a more qualitative level interesting to play against or with hmm. true um and that is tricky. It doesn't come out automatically. Interestingly, with Sophie, um, this is mainly a reinforcement learning um, yes. trained bot. So, yeah, deep um, mm -hmm. Yeah. We've done a bunch of work in the past, uh, mostly with my academic hat on here, where we basically done these Turing tests, having um, having different kinds of bots playing Super Mario, for example. And, uh, and then classic. basically... <laughs> classic, isn't it? Um, and, uh, and then basically checking when uh, uh, we were having people watch videos of different bots, sometimes a bot and a human, or, or sometimes two humans, and ask them, sort of tell them apart, like which is a bot, which is a human. And you discover lots of little things. There are like, there are errors you can introduce to make it seem more lifelike. <clears throat> um, in, the, in, in, in a particular, on a micro scale, trying things and failing, um, like try, taking jumps and failing in particular. And and there are errors that will give it away as a, a as a as a bot directly, in particular changing sort of jitteriness, changing actions back and forth too fast, and so on. Mm, yeah. So these are th these are things you can regularize for in in machine learning, learning terminology. You can put um, you can you can basically um, punish these kinds of behavior when you train your models, and or when you do inference from your models, you can limit them when you do inference from your models. So there's like a lot of like little um, little tricks you can get from these kind of studies of, of what is human likeness I that guess gives the, you at least micro scale human likeness and then the trick i guess which probably christopher could speak to is, uh, more is then how do you turn that into something that actually a developer can use like because as you're saying here we're tweaking reward functions you're you're modifying the reward space of, of this agent as it's trying to learn and then you've also got the imitation learning side of it as well where we maybe we want to 
have these qualities that we've actually had a human player come in and play this game and we want it to evoke these traits while also merging it with some of these other elements like how do you and, and this is I, I'm generally interested because this isn't something I've ever tried to do how do you then balance all that in, in a way that then a designer can go all right great and then starts tweaking numbers and can actually see those that that actually creating an impact in the engine quick break from all the banter to take a moment to thank our patrons who support us here on the Branching Factor podcast. Without that support, we wouldn't have kicked off this fun new venture for us all to take part in. Don't forget that by supporting us on Patreon, you get to listen to each episode early and without all these pesky ads that break up the flow. Plus, you get bonus content and the chance to submit questions to us directly via the AI and Games Discord server and shoutouts for our top tier patrons. It's all part of the package. To find out how to join, head on over to patreon.com forward slash AI Games. That's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash AI Games. Thanks once again for listening to us here on Branching Factor. And with that, let's get back to the actual podcast. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's a super good question. And I don't think we have the, the final answer or anything. I mean, I mean, when we... When we've been doing it so far, it's um, we've sort of like focusing. We focused on getting the micro stuff right by learning from human behaviors, like all these little things that Julian was talking about that really introduces human likeness, right? Um, and I think for that, it's it's very much a qualitative. It's you're back in the design process. It's like training the model, seeing what it looks like, seeing what you think about it from sort of like a creative stance. Yeah, I mean, no sort of like you know, law, like like you know. Uh, error function or whatever. like there's not a lot you can measure if the game director looks at this and just says like that looks terrible I don't want to ship it right so so at, at the end of the day you sort of like need to review that with a qualitative lens as well and then we've um, uh, we've often worked with sort of like the real high level decision making not even doing that with any kind of like uh, model but actually having sort of like classic AI encompassing it because that puts these like knobs and handles back into the hands of the game designer and then they can they can control with intent the overall high level experience right, right. and you can have to really apply the machine learning for the low level stuff however I think you know and this is just how we're thinking about it internally and how, what we're thinking about long term right but it, I, I think going from some kind of like examples like having a, like a tons of tons of like quick replays where you can experience the behavior and then you could sort of like push in this direction or put in that push in that direction i think that would that would sort of like flow much more naturally to the um to the game development you know creative process rather than tweaking values and then waiting and seeing right and so i, I just think they're like the challenges like the the length of the of the iteration loop like how long do i have to wait until i see the result of it and so like if you can get that if you get that down and you actually uh, present the results and 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 sort of like let people interact with it from the you know, much closer to the end experience. I, I think that's how you you get this kind of thing like close, closer and more relevant to the game design side of things. And critically, I think when you've got like a from a developer's perspective, you see you begin to see the behavior actually kicking in. You get you're beginning to see it operate in a way that is conducive to your 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 goals, your design goals. You're like, oh, wow, this is almost there. Exactly. Yeah. And then the like interest, like because this is a, this is the thing I think that has denied machine learning to be practical. In this space for so long is then as a designer you're going oh but if it could just do this in this particular situation yep. that that sugar on top if you will that spice then it's like okay i need to go in and crack this open and historically if you're training a model you go okay i need to go back to the model and 
redefine our reward functions, redefine everything. How do I even encode that in the reward function? Okay, go, we're going to go and train it again. But it sounds like you're, by integrating it with more classical techniques, you're allowing for that space for that designer to go in and then, right, I need to do a little bit of brain surgery right here. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's that's a really good way of putting it because there's just a long mm -hmm. way for your intentionality to travel from model parameters and a training set all the way out to final experience, right? Maybe you're much yeah. better served by doing the little final bit of it on on top manually. It's kind of like the Photoshop, you know, layers again, like getting that out with the image, right? That's, yeah, it's, that's it's, what it's, you need, you it's need 90, 95 percent there, but I just I, if it just did this, if it yep. just behave, if it moved left instead of right in this one in this particular situation, chef's kiss, like I'm there. Yeah, giving giving the and, right and that's handles. The thing, like, like in because the the, the final like the ninety nine point five percent they don't matter if you don't get to hundred and that's that's kind of like it when you're doing these when you're building these kind of creative experiences you got to get to hundred percent otherwise you're not there. Then then I'll make a video about it. Come on, like that's <laughs> <laughs> yes. Or my audience will be it's like, Tommy, everything. why have you not made a video about this yet? And I'm like, I know, I know, I know. I still get a lot of those. There's still like, if there's a, there's like a, there's a list of games where it comes up in the comments every now and then. Tommy, why has there not been a video about this game yet? Like, <sighs> there will be, yes. And it's, it's either there will be, but here's the 101 reasons why I haven't been able to do it yet. Or no, I'm just not interested. It's usually the former. Um, I've got like, there's yeah. already some design document somewhere of an episode, which just has too many gaps in it, where I can't make the video the way I want it to. Game developers, call me. Anyway, back to you guys. Ah, yes. <laughs> yeah, I was me. about to ask you, I wanted to ask you about if there are games you particularly are uninterested in because the AI seems so boring, but let's not go there. That's, that's so that's, that, I've, I've intimated this to my audience on more than one occasion, but I actually, I've always said to them, like, I, I deliberately don't tell you when I, I'm not interested in a game that I, that I cover, but yeah. every episode I... I always engage with every topic as if it's the best AI and the and it's the best AI and the best game ever made. Because at the end of the day, every episode is someone's first, and so they might if 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 they came in and I'm like, hi, I'm Tommy Thompson. This is AI and games. Let's talk about the AI of this game. I think it's shit, but let's go. And then that's just gonna. First of all, they're like, well, how dare you? This is my favorite game of all time. Second of yes. all, I'm not subscribing to you. Goodbye. So, like, I have to kind of yeah. wear that hat, but. Um, yeah. I've I've actually turned it into a running joke in my my Discord community. Like, go and watch an episode, see if you can figure out whether I didn't like the game. Oh, and nice. then yeah. sometimes they're like, "What about this?" I'm like, "No, I, I absolutely loved that game. That 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 game was one of my favorite games that year." And I'm like, "Oh, okay. What about this one?" I'm like, mm, maybe." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, awesome. Um, where were we? We were in generative so, yeah, AI, we were, right? We're talking about generative AI, but clearly we're talking about we're moving into the space of bots. And funnily enough, of course, if we're dealing with bots for a lot of online multiplayer games, that's an area that has a huge amount of scope, right? Um, mm. I think we're seeing no a scope. lot of a lot of work in machine learning applications for online gaming in in different ways. Um, I was literally talking about that in my recent AI one hundred and one video. Um, things. Not just, you know, actually it was interesting I was talking about things like cheat detection that's being done in mm -hmm. Counter-Strike uh, using trained deep learning models. And, you know, we can talk sometimes about things like toxicity, like how do you handle toxic players and toxic, like, toxic activities or 
voice chat. What do you mean? Every, else. Everyone, everyone who plays online games are very nice people. I, gonna, I don't know if you've heard, but video games have got a bit of a problem with... Uh, really? It's the people that play them. That's that's sometimes the problem. Like most of the people are great. If you're listening to this right now, you're awesome. You know that. Thank yes, you. Yes. Don't forget to subscribe. Um, but yeah, there's a there's a very vocal contingent that is uh, problematic, shall we say? Um, problematic. Problematic. Yes. But also, I guess. I mean, critically, I guess coming back to the point of of the generative behaviors, you're also got to deal with the online like an online game is always going to change it's going to develop it's going to evolve mm-hmm. how do you then factor that into like the tools and systems you're building at model ai so that you know critically if we think about things like alpha alpha star for um starcraft 2 mm-hmm. the reason they never shipped that again to people to play it was because once the meta changed they'd have to retrain it and google didn't yeah. really want to fork out another 10 20 million dollars so yeah. how do you accommodate for that challenge Can we cut here? No, <laughs> I, 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 I think that's a big challenge we have is making. I'm not saying you've got an answer for it now, but I think no, you know. no, 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 no. But but basically, in when training these large models, um, and the, I mean, the term within um, AI research has increasingly become foundation models. A lot of people don't like foundation models because it was introduced by a particular team at Stanford that, um, uh, well. Anyway, so, but they, they are generally called um, foundation models. And the idea is that you pre-train it on a very, this very large model on a very large amount of data, and then you can fine tune it on your data. You can also distill the model down into smaller models for particular applications that are fast and cheap to run. Um, so in the context of games, become, what, 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 I was yeah. gonna say like, so in the context of games, that's like the equivalent of, I'm gonna get this model to learn to, you're going to train a foundation model of like a, a bot that can play any type of first-person shooter and then right. refine and, and, it down and, and, and to and then, Battlefield, yeah. Call of Duty, Apex. Yeah, and, and, particular, and, and it point. might also be that you, exactly, you fine-tune it down to, because you take this big general model that plays any kind of first-person shooter and it might you give it a new game it has never seen before, it might not play it very well because it's never seen it. Then you give it a little bit of more fine, fine-tuning on that game and and then it plays it well. It sort of uses everything it's got latent. And then you want to deploy it on a server. And this is a giant neural network that relies on lots of um, rendered pixels and whatever, you can't do that. So um, you basically take a particular scenario, like this level here in this Call of Duty, you know, and then you fine tune it a bit more on that particular level and distill it, which is a method for getting from a very large network into a much smaller network um, to, for a smaller network that might not need pixels, that might need internal sensors only, um, and that can play this particular level. And the idea here is that um, we will keep up with um, further releases and modifications and so on, because we want this to be usable throughout the game development process through this dance of fine tuning and distillation. Um, And the idea is that this can be really fast. Once you have the big model, you let the big model play the particular game and you can and, and and you let it tune on this game. And no humans need to be involved, although some human gameplay on this particular game at a particular level will of course be appreciated. It, it will help. So um and that's what they did not do with Alpha Star because well, that wasn't what they were they weren't yeah, they were never trying to build the product. No, but I guess they were it, trying 
it's funny because you're kind of talking about like a very human behavior as well of, oh, the game has changed. I now need to go in and, yeah. and replay the game a little bit um, yeah. critically um, and then sort of absorbing like the diff in the knowledge. Like, oh, this is how my mm -hmm. knowledge has changed. This is how my knowledge has evolved. Mm -hmm. And then filtering that down into the ball, which is kind of the flip side of how a lot of these things work. Like, you know, things like um, Alpha Star or the Dota, um, the AI, the OpenAI 5 and things like that, where... And I'll, I'll be interested to see, particularly as well, with I think GT Sophie, they've probably, they're mm -hmm. not going to patch it too drastically because otherwise it's, you know, th that game is already largely kind of in a position I think they're happy with. But if yeah. you're making changes to the meta of games like this, it's like, well, my knowledge is no longer relevant, but there's no way if a pre-trained model mm -hmm. like Alpha Star and, and the OpenAI 5, they can't relearn at that point. They've already, they're past that point. Mm -hmm. You'd have to reverse back to an earlier stage and then start training again, and that becomes expensive. So I guess for this, and I, I realize this is, this is still, this is like a, still an ambition at this point. This isn't a solved problem by any, by any stretch. Um, it's not like this is in model AI that's going to be pushed out in the next update. Um, expect to see it at GDC. No, 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 no. <laughs> Could you see Christopher panicking there? Like, oh God, what? Um, except to, no, no, no. Ex yeah, yeah, expect to see some version of our product that you can join the beta for a TDC, but Ooh. but not this. <laughs> I actually, that wasn't a plug. I didn't and, know. So, <laughs> but I, I mean, and, and one thing we have like another angle, like how we're we're thinking about it with uh, Ed Model, right? It's we we have invested in, and we're continuously investing in what we call our data pipeline. So that's kind of like part of the whole solution we talked about before. So imagine you you install like what you need to run the QA bots, but with that you can also install what you need to collect high resolution granular relevant data from games right and so the interesting thing is that if you have like that set up well and you have it set up across many games you start having a unifying interface for what data sets could look like from different games right and i, I think that's also you know that's that's just like a it's just like a you know characteristic of the games industry but everybody has and like been rolling their own data formats for different purposes, for different applications, for this kind of like machine learning, maybe because it's it's like new as well, right? So there hasn't been a unifying way of collecting that data, and that makes it super hard to share it across games yeah. and to keep collecting it continuously. So that's that's one of the things that, that we're gunning for is that, you know, well, if you're using us, like everybody who uses us will then have the same format, and they might come from different games, but at least we've sort of taken care of that, like, you know, the, the bad engineering part, which is actually super important, that you get the data structured correctly and that you keep it flowing in a in a continuous manner. Um, yeah. Because if you look if, if you look at like game analytics, which is not what we do, right? Because they look at events and games at a much higher perspective, like higher level, uh, lower resolution, right? Um, but they collect game events across games, and precisely because they ended up like like the companies that have been active in game analytics for a bunch of years, they standardized how these sort of like events uh, come in, how they're represented, how they're treated, right? And suddenly you can start using these data sets to predict across different kinds of games. You can understand KPIs across different games. Like I, I think it's it's hugely valuable doing that kind of standardization and and making making data sort of like align across different titles. And you know, it's just like nobody's really had the reason to do it for behavioral data before, perhaps. Yeah. Cause like you say, in order to achieve this, you need a large you need a broad range of data like if we come back to the first person shooter example you want this get this system to be able to adapt to like you know game developers are creative people like you know we got a, we, we got a new shooter that comes out that innovates in an interesting way like if you've if your data is too sparse 
it's not going to be able to adjust to new mechanics or new dynamics that emerge in that space. And so, yeah, collecting mm -hmm. that data and I'm creating a standardized format that would allow for the sharing of that data. And also, I'm assuming that somewhere down the line, there then becomes legal hiccups of how do we then approve this so people can then, like, everyone's sharing their data in a way that is conducive and supportive across the industry. Like, that's an interesting, to me, that seems like an interesting challenge down the line as well of, like, here's all these publishers Absolutely. now sharing a corpus of data that supports one another to do their jobs. Yeah, we would like to but, be and, and, central load in this. <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 but I mean, I think it is kind of like, you know, you can a rising tide and all the ships, right? Because like, mm -hmm. if this works the way that, that we think it's going to work, like you should be incentivized to participate in this because it will eventually make your you know, your game better as well, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's sort of like a shared resource that everybody then gets access to. That's the idea at least. Um, and seeing like which publishers or which studios would want to participate in that and who wouldn't, that's, that's really interesting. And I think there's a lot of like industry discussion that needs to happen there. And you probably also have to talk to the players, right? Because there's kind of like, okay, you can, you can stick it in the EULA and like, we're going to collect everything you do in the game. But, but that's, there's, there's sort of like a larger, you know, ethical yeah. conversation to have. Yeah, so, so we, we, we don't have standards and norms and so on for who owns behavior. And if your behavior somewhere, your gameplay was one of like million data points that sort of fed this giant model, and somewhere, somehow, some behavior it produces may contain traces of what you once did. Yeah. What's, what's, the, what's the ownership? What's the... This is something that, as far as we know, is entirely undefined at the moment. Yeah, I think that that's a very interesting space um, for these kind of... And funnily enough, I've been arguing about this for a long time in talks. I, I get asked a lot about, what's the future of machine learning in games? And I often have a danger slide. And one of the big things I've said is we accumulate so much data about players now. You need to start thinking about what happens when players catch wind of this like like you said it's in it's in the eula mm -hmm. most of the time it's in the end yeah. user license agreement nobody reads it they scroll to the end no. i just want to play and, call and, of duty let's get on with this but and, yeah and, and, like, it's we're, true we're, I, I've, I've talked about this for a long time you can also predict a lot of people what people who people are what they do and a lot of out of game things from this yeah this is uh it's very fascinating um it's, so that's, we, need we to, should probably not dig further into that now no we yeah. need to, we need to find a ways to support to like it's an unsolved problem and it's probably not something yeah. that even actually the three of us would, would tackle even in your capacities in model AI because there's laws and standards and what have you that need to be addressed but yeah it's it's governments and oh, yeah, governments. elected people governments it's and technology never a strong mix um <laughs> but uh, I don't, I think I, I think it's kind of an exciting thing down the line and even like yeah. coming back to what you were saying about how do we standardize the data and the process mm -hmm. like we're still in a, a nascent phase, I think, in the industry that we're still learning the the mistakes and where are the mistakes, where are the, the pitfalls in applying machine learning in the games industry for a lot of these use cases. And particularly, you know, myself looking at a lot of the talks that we had submitted um, to GDC this year and even some of the other stuff that we had last year, we're still in this phase of companies turning around. Like, we figured this out. We actually got it to work. Isn't this great? Um, and funnily enough, Model, you had a talk at GDC last year, but then we had like things like Halo Infinite. We had Age of Empires 4. Um, and funnily enough, I think um, 
models was like the small company in that space because it was all these bigger companies like hey we finally figured out how to solve this machine learning problem and it's like how did you do it well we just threw microsoft research at it and a ton of engineering effort and because we're microsoft and not to diminish that work it's absolutely fantastic and highly i, I highly encourage you go and watch that age of empires talk it's it's brilliant but yeah but we're, we're, even now some of the talks we have this year is we're trying to figure out how to apply machine learning to solve this aspect of game development. Here's the things that we figured out we got right. Here's all the things that we got wrong. We're still trying to figure this out. And so I think the next few years are going to be really interesting as we see lessons learned becoming formalized a lot more. And it's been great to see. I'm, I'm, I'm often critical of the fact that big corporations are in control of a lot of this, but it's also great that then subsequently a lot of the developers at these big corporations are coming out and giving these talks like hey we we, we were applying Definitely ai true. bots to test across all these games here's the lessons we learned from it um it's like great so who knows maybe in a, a few years from now um we, right we might get I, will, I will need to be in my way and, and all I'm right i leave you to the rest all righty well th- i was going to say thank you very much to Julian for joining us. And now you've got the wrong name. This is a completely visual um, problem because I expected actually that Christopher, we were going to lose you first. Oh, right. Yeah. Well, Julian and I worked together for many years, so I'll just, you know, it's, it, we're interchangeable. Oh, there, there we go. I'm don't gonna... worry. You're, you're sorted now. Um, we've got the, the right name <laughs> under there. Um, <laughs> like it, we're interchangeable. It's, it's fine. I'll answer for him. Um, but yeah, so <laughs> the, I guess, you're, we're, we're seeing, is Modly I the only people in the space right now looking at foundation models for games? I, get, I actually, this is, a, this is kind of a, a bit of a knowledge gap that I have at the moment. I'm not really sure what's happening in that space. Um, so, so I think there are, you know, it's always hard to know what's happening inside, you know, obviously you see what, what talks people bring to GDC and stuff like that. So I would imagine that, that some of this work is happening at some of the really big game studios, but maybe just hasn't bubbled up that way. Um, I think I'm, I'm aware of a company, a Chinese company called parametrics.ai that, uh, that work in this direction, I think. Um, I know the folks at RCT AI, uh, think a little bit in this direction as well. And I think there was a new company that, uh, that popped up the, the other month who are also going in this direction, but it's, it doesn't feel like it's a hyper saturated spaceship. I think, uh, I think we're still going to see more people entering it, uh, eventually, but yeah. Yeah, it feels like there's still more of <clears throat> we're still in we're in this applying deep reinforcement learning to games. That seems to be the thing I see more of um, in terms of actual industry like studios conducting work, and they're like, "Hey, this is the stuff that we're doing." And there's several companies that are really investing in that quite heavily. But yeah, yeah, and I, I also I, I think maybe it makes sense that you'd start doing it one up like. If it's new technology and it's new to the production flows, maybe you choose one title and then you take sort of like the conservative approach here is like, let's try it with this one game. Right? Then we do another one and we build up like knowledge that way. Uh, so you're not necessarily incentivized to do it like across your whole portfolio of games, especially if they're like different, right? Uh, different genres or types or whatnot. Yeah. I mean, funnily enough, like we were just saying, like Microsoft had Halo and Age of Empires at GDC last year that are both, hey, we're trying to figure it out for first person shooters, but we're also just fi- we're trying right. to figure it out st- strategy games as well. I know I'm, I'm interested to see, I know Creative Assembly have been working quite hard of late on trying to formalize their AI architecture as well 
to and whether they're using machine learning i don't know because one of their problems has always been that their strategy games are subsystems with, within subsystems within subsystems and yeah. yeah it's a bit it's, it's chaos um but yeah uh i think we'll we'll start moving towards our our end i think for this episode because i'm conscious that now julian's gone we're, we've kind of we've got we're letting you hang we've got you hanging here but um i guess for for yourself <laughs> we've got gdc coming up and it'll be good to catch up. I'm looking forward to having a conversation with you both. Well, not your, not with both of you, because Julian's going to be uh, looking after Fort Nonsense, but certainly with yourself over at GDC. Okay. But what what, sh- what are you looking forward to at the event? What's the, the thing that you're excited for the most? The most? Um, I, I think, you know, for me, GDC was always about this chance to meet, like, all the other people from the industry and all the folks that are going to be there. So that's actually the most exciting thing to me. Uh, it's just having uh, you know a lot of people back and having having this chance to catch up, uh, especially after the last few years. Um, and then you know, apart from that, it's just wonderful to take the stuff that our team has been building and then see you know how many people we can get excited about it. I mean, we we generally think that we're making something that can be useful to a bunch of devs out there. And for us, it's like you know we're like right where at the edge of the stage, bringing it out to the industry, and now we're going to give it to a bunch of folks and see what they're going to say about it, not just like a few customers. Um, so that's 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 a really exciting moment for a startup like us. Yeah, it's kind of you're you're reaching that point, as you say. Like previously, you've worked with a handful of companies, but now it's sort of out in the wild. It's it's the true litmus yeah. test, I guess, of of the tools and how it's going to pan out for you in the long run. And I think, you know, once you give it to people that they're going to come up with all sorts of stuff that they can do with this, uh, hopefully, that we didn't even think of, right? So we're in for a, <laughs> a, a, quite a learning experience. <laughs> so Look, I, I think that's still quite exciting, though, when you see people do stuff in ways that you didn't anticipate and then, oh, right, could we feed that I, back into into what we're doing, you know? Precisely. No, I love that. I love, like, you, you know, you, there's no way that one team could be as creative as, you know, when you put it out to, to like, all the developers potentially in the industry, right? So, yeah. But for everybody who's not going to make it to GDC, which is probably about 99.9% of the industry, where can they find all this stuff? Like, where can where can they find out more about the work that, that you're all doing right now? What's right. the things yeah, to check out? To learn more- the things to check out. Well, you should definitely, obviously, go to go to our website. Uh, you should check out the uh, uh, the YouTube series that we've been doing, um, history of AI as well. You should check out AI and games of AI and games, of course, uh, <laughs> one of the greatest places on the internet for go for, for this kind of content. Um, and yeah, uh, I think I think um, follow us on, on all those different uh, all those different mediums. And obviously, uh, follow us on Twitter as well, uh, where we, we usually post the latest. Yeah, M-O-D-L AI. That's model AI. The website is modl.ai. Um, and uh, yeah, so if you check out the YouTube channel right now, we've got the History of AI series, which all of you star in, and you're all wonderful. Um, but uh, listeners of the podcast will recognize a certain Scottish narrator who never actually appears. Um, I don't think I'm ever named either. But it's I kind of like that that I just kind of float in. And funnily enough, I've actually there are people who watch my YouTube channel who went and watched a bunch of model AI videos and came back to me and went, "Is that you over on that other?" Um, yeah, yeah, it is. I'm like, "Oh right, I was like, I thought somebody was copying your voice." I'm like, "Why would someone do that? That's like the dumbest idea in the world." Um, but we've also got in, uh, in, yep, I've got a brand. I got to protect it. Like we've also got interviews with yourself and the rest of the founders uh, that we did last year. 
um, which we talk quite a bit about some of the work that's ongoing, not just with yourself, uh, but with uh, Benedicta Mickelson, um, with Jergis Yanakakis, Sebastian Risi, uh, and Julian as well. Um, although I don't believe he was in Fort Nonsense at the time. Um, one of the things that I need to talk to you about when we're offline is we I we're really keen to do an we're really keen to do a little bit more of an insight into model AI actually on my channel that I know our top production team has been talking to me about for a while that we want to actually get in and actually see what you're doing on a day to day and kind of expose it a little bit to the world. That's something I'm quite I'm quite keen to do. Um, we'll talk about that at GDC. Uh, hopefully you're aware of this idea rather than just being like, what? He's, he's dropping this on me right now while we're recording this? What's going on? Well, I, like, it sounds like a great idea. We'd love to do it. So, yeah. But you, you do, you, I was going to say, maybe you don't approve of it, but other people have told me that you you will love to do it. So that's that's how it works. Like, we're, we're told <laughs> from, good. even though you, you're your CEO, you're still told by other people what's, what's a great idea for you to do. Um, but hopefully we're going of to be course. able to do that later <laughs> in the year. Um, but yes, uh, Thanks also, thanks to yourself, uh, Christopher, for joining us today. It's been really nice to chat with you and just catch up in general. I'm looking forward to doing that in person as well. Thanks also to Julian um, for coming in and being his typical chaotic self, uh, I think. If you've never met him, you, this, this was a int wonderful introduction, but um, that's him most of the time. Actually, he's just a bit, he's, he's actually probably um, a bit better prepared for radio nowadays i think his media training is beginning to pay off i think to say that until you read his twitter i think perhaps <laughs> um so yes um if you've been catching up again please check out the branching factor podcast uh give us a rating on whatever podcast platform you listen to us on that's always uh, much appreciated. If you have any questions, thoughts, or comments, you can reach out at AI and Games on Twitter and on Mastodon and on TikTok, if I remember right. We're in the game dev Mastodon. I can't be bothered trying to write out the URL because it's Mastodon. That's a nightmare. Give us, drop us an email at branchingfactor at aiandgames.com or if you're a patron that supports everything we're doing at AI and Games, patreon.com forward slash AI and Games, jump in the Discord. We have a dedicated area for people to reach out and send comments, questions, and what have you with all things branching factor on that note it's important because i have to do this at the end of every episode i wrap up by thanking our top executive producers on our patreon um so that's scuppy pup brian umalan bernard Werner, and michael russell thank you all for being our top tier supporters and yeah thanks very much christopher i hope you've had a good time thanks so much for having us yeah it was fun but uh, yeah, that's it for another episode of Branching Factor. Take care of yourselves, everyone. Stay safe. Have fun. We'll be back. Bye. And I'm going to wave to the camera. The Branching Factor podcast is hosted and produced by me, Tommy Thompson, with support from Anne Sullivan, George Osborne, Mike Cook, and Quang Yun. Our theme music is provided courtesy of Ben Ridge, and the logo and thumbnail art is thanks to Helen O'Dell. Special thanks to Shraddha Gumta and Phoebe Trigg for their additional production support, and of course, to all of you out there listening. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Branching Factor. Wherever you are in the world, be sure to stay safe, have fun, and we'll be back. <laughs>